0: Nice to meet you. Good to see you. All right, this is wonderful. There we go. Nice, nice and
1: cozy. Now I'm now I'm a floating I'm a floating head here. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Like that, I'm a floating head. That's very nice.
0: (laughs) Good morning, David Jack. How are you on Wednesday morning? Yeah, good. Um, Got my coffee. Excellent. (laughs) How's how's the uh, the new the new book selling? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's that's a real writer there. I, I don't know. I mean, I just assume I don't have any, you know, until I get a notification on from Amazon, like, oh, I sold a book. What the hell, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's that's always more exciting. Hi, Sorry, can welcome, Taylor. To hear you. Yeah. How are oh. you? Doing well, how about yourself? Uh, Not too bad, not too bad. Good. Hi Donnie. how's it going?
2: I'm great, how are you doing? It's good to see you.
0: Yeah, you as well. Hey, this is Mark Justice and welcome to Between the Lines. We've got a really special show today. Uh, We're gonna do a Voices of Pride Day and celebrate the voices of the LGBTQ plus community. And we've got a panel of writers so, this is going to be exciting. My first panel um, interview. So, I would like you to introduce yourselves uh, to everyone. We'll start with uh, David Jack. Hi,
3: everyone. Um, as Mark just said, my name is David Jack Fletcher. Um, I'm a horror writer uh, and I'm from Australia, in case the accent didn't give it away. Um, and I really try to get um, I mostly just do gay horror so the protagonists are always um, or usually a, a married couple or like a widow or something but there's always that kind of um, that gay element to it which makes it authentic for me um, and I've just finished my next book but it's currently out with beta readers so if anyone's interested let me know um, and hopefully that'll be out later this year
1: Ivan? Uh hi, uh my name is Ivan Lopez. I am a horror writer from Orlando, Florida. Uh currently um working on a short story uh collection as a uh, sort of follow up to my uh novella that is available right now called The Town Beyond the Treats. Um and uh I also write some uh some protagonists from the LGBTQ community as well as um POC uh, protagonist as well being that I am I am a Latino so I like to have as much representation as possible uh, within my stories so yeah that uh, that's me in a nutshell.
0: Uh, and Taylor? So oh, hi
4: I'm Taylor um, so I'm probably like I'm 27 I used to be anonymous uh, on Instagram and uh, now I finally decide to show up you know like online so this is like kind of uh, exciting for me uh so like personally so probably like uh some of you would discover me so i was born in france so i'm uh, both british and french citizen uh i'm living in london united kingdom shoreditch for those who know i mean (laughs) it's And uh, regarding my uh, writing, so basically I'm a psychological freedom writer, so I'm currently working on uh, Free Expensive Lives, which is like basically like the story of a master manipulator. I'm trying to like democratize manipulators and I know it's quite like (laughs) a big task, but... (laughs) uh that's uh what i want to do um i studied psychology as well uh, i'm also a blogger so i've got a website and everything i'm not like publishing a lot on this and uh, also i am a pilot uh piloting planes and uh yes so that's uh pretty much
0: like overall who i am wonderful so you could pick david jack up and and all of us and then drop us off at my house so come to my house
4: so for this i need to get to boeing and i still don't have the license for this okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're working on that one next okay and Donnie.
2: hello everyone my name is donnie winter i currently live in midland michigan right smack in the middle of michigan in the united states i am a poet i write a lot of super gay poems. I currently have two collections that have been, um, released over the past couple of years by Alien Buddha Press. I'm currently working on my third, and I, it's been a roller coaster experience. There's been so much happening the past couple of years, but I have really enjoyed the, the experience so far, and I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, thank you all for coming, and, um, this is going to be very exciting, and we're, we're going to have a fun with this. So, uh, as David Jask asked me to talk about, why am I personally interested in this? Is because I'm an ally, and I, I am a safe space. And as a writer, I've gotten to know some of you. I've interviewed two of you, and I find it fascinating everyone's process and how much how much we bring of ourselves into our writing. And I thought, to coinciding with with Pride Month. Um, it seemed like a perfect opportunity to talk about these issues in a way that could reach out to others and bring the light on on everyone. So thank you again for showing up. Uh, let's see. Let's, I think, begin with, I know we've talked about what kind of writing that you like uh, to do what kind of genres do you enjoy reading? Um, Taylor, what kind of genres of fiction or nonfiction do you enjoy reading?
4: So basically I'm not really that much of a fiction writer, even though I'm also a fiction writer, which is uh, quite paradox, paradoxical. Um, however, I'm reading a lot of like uh, what is like a politics book. Like, for example, recently I've been reading uh, The Prince of Niccolo Machiavelli, which is obviously a masterpiece. I mean, it's uh, uh, basically like for fiction, I have like very, very high expectations. And uh, as we're like uh, already like talking about like early about like uh, the length of books, I love like long books. Um, I love like, you know, uh, books that literally like drive you away from reality this is what i'm actually like looking like when i'm reading fictions and uh, this is what i'm like trying to do myself as a writer to actually like bring like the reader like far away from uh from this actual uh lovely beautiful place that is our world so it's uh uh no what I'm mostly reading is mostly like nonfiction. Uh for example, like in my uh best and uh, my favorite books I've been reading like The Art of War of uh, Sun Tzu recently. Um what else? Uh On Liberty of John Stuart Mill. I actually love like you know, like these books that actually like bring up something uh and even like I can use this like as um as a tool, like for example, uh, recently with a friend, walker writing the um, the story of a of a baroness, of a politician, so it's like you know, kind of like this uh, manipulation, politics, and everything. So it's like kind of like bringing everything together. So that's pretty much what I'm into.
0: Okay, and Ivan, uh, what do you enjoy reading?
1: Um, so I mean, I do enjoy reading horror. Uh, <laughs> uh a lot um but when i'm not doing that i actually read a lot of nonfiction uh and comedic nonfiction. uh at that uh I, like um one of my favorite uh one of my favorite reads was uh the year of living biblically by aj jacobs okay. and uh it was but it was a he has what three or four books where he he kind of he chooses a subject and then he goes for about a a year or so uh researching this subject or immersing himself into in this subject kind of pointing out the absurdities of it and um so in in this particular book he uh went through a lot of rules and teachings of the bible and he tried for an entire year to live his life as literally to the bible as possible it drove his wife nuts uh (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> um and it was actually a very um it was a very funny read as well as a very enlightening one uh and so I, I like reading uh books like that and uh and non books about some sciences and and whatnot as as of right now actually on my bedside is uh uh oh my god what was the, what was the title of it it's a book about ants. <laughs> Cause I love because I love I I love I love ants and I am kind of an enthusiast when it comes to uh some uh, some animals and and uh especially in especially insects. So I'm re- I'm actually reading a book about ants right now. Uh so yeah, a lot, lot lot of nonfiction, a lot of comedic nonfiction. Cause I have this philosophy that uh in order like you can inspire your writing by reading your exact genre, but I like to read outside of a little bit of my genre, mostly uh, comedic because comedy has a lot of the uh, similar formulas to horror. So it kind of helps me with my own formulas without completely copying inadvertently what I just read.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) It makes sense. Right. It's easy to be obsessed with or read something we really like and then turn that out. Um yeah, I I I get that. A lot of my early horror writing was just really bad Stephen King imitation, you know. So I'm <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I'm just I'm so ashamed of that stuff. <laughs> you know, just don't be ashamed of that.
1: I mean at least you get to write something, you know, and it's it's good to it's good to emulate the, the things that, that you like, but as long as you're self aware of it, you'll it'll start to become your own.
0: Yeah, there's, I guess I have a lot of shame carried over for my teenage years anyway. You know, there's just so many things <laughs> I'm in my own unpacking and and trying to come to terms with all that. But yes, thank you for, for giving me some of that. Um, and Donnie, and what kind of genres do you like to read? Well, when it comes
2: to fiction, I, I love fantasy and sci-fi. I would say that those are my, my two biggest uh, the Lord, of the, like anything Tolkien related, is probably top tier for me. I, I love Tolkien. Uh, now, when it comes to poetry, it kind of changes up a little bit, um, and it depends on the day. Uh, for for poetry, there are a lot of like subgenres that kind of like bleed together a little bit. Lately, over the past probably year or two, my obsession has been cyberpunk. Uh, I've been using that as kind of inspiration, I use it for my inspiration for my second collection. And as I begin working in my third collection, I've been uh, reading a lot of like, uh, different educational materials about the philosophy behind cyberpunk, and other punk subgenres like solar punk as well. Uh, So I've been reading um, A Cyborg Manifesto by Donna uh, Haraway. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it before. Super interesting. And um, let's see, I've been really obsessed with uh, cyberpunk themed poem collections as well. Uh, My favorite currently is Susan Slaviero's Cyborgia, which basically embodies this idea of womanhood and how it's connected with, um, the mechanical and how it it kind of like breaks down that, that connection between the two. So, um, but right now I, if I'm going to be really random, I've also been reading like a lot of like, do it yourself books. Like I've been really obsessed with gardening. It's almost, it's springtime here. So I've been, I have like a whole bookshelf full of gardening books that I've just been,
0: Reading constantly. Are you going to do like a square foot gardening, or are you going to build like a a, a sunhouse, or anything? Or do you know yet? Uh well, I'm too lazy to build a sunhouse. Uh, <laughs> I'm or,
2: probably going like I have a, like a lot of like flower bed, raised bed space, so I'm
0: just going to okay. plant stuff in those. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be doing some horticulture uh, myself and start growing cannabis. So. That's something <laughs> yes. I'm looking forward to. Ah, it'll get it'll get. Mean, yeah, that's that's time. Ohio <laughs> needs to make it legal. You know, I already got my perfect blend. I'm working on, so I had to study horticulture. I'm I'm studying all this, you know, botany, so I can breed plants. You know, it's very exciting. And David Jag. I'll have to edit probably all that out. Um, I want the feds showing up at my door. Hey, Mark, got any pot in there? Uh, uh, And David Jack, what kind of genres do you enjoy reading? Uh, Well,
3: um, it used to be very academic. And Donnie, I um, used to teach a class about Donna Haraway's Cyborg Manifesto. So, um, and I, I used her work in my honours thesis and some of it in my PhD. So if you never need someone to talk to. Um, I might hit you up on that. That sounds super awesome. <laughs> but um, I'm kind of transitioning away from academia now. Still, like we can talk about it, but um, I'm transitioning away. And so um, I normally read crime fiction. Um, I like the fast paced kind of um, thrillers. I, lo- I love psychological thrillers as well. Two of my favourite authors, one is Jack Curley. Uh, He's American. Um, He's got about 20 or so books um, all in a series. And the other one is Simon Koenig, who, um, Taylor, you might know, he's from the UK and he does a lot of fiction and thrillers. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I really like that sort of um, the fast-paced thriller and lots of twists and turns, and I find that it kind of helps me understand the like the narrative structure a bit, how to kind of plant those seeds for a really good twist at the end um, throughout and throw the reader a little bit. But I've also been getting into, um, I'm just looking at them here, into um, like biographies. So I don't know if anyone knows Bruce Campbell Ivan, you would 100% know Bruce Campbell,
0: yeah. The king, (laughs) baby.
3: So I'm really getting into that sort of thing. Um, And like what Ivan was saying before, comedy and horror share a lot of the same conventions, um, but it's presented in different ways. And so I've been getting, um, like, comedian biographies to read, uh, and it's been really interesting. So, yeah. I don't really have a lot of time to, to read um, really thick books because I, I, I like to read in one sitting. So if I'm going to pick a book, it's like that's what I'm doing today for the next like five hours or so. Um, so the thick books are like the 800 page ones are kind of out for me for the most part. but
0: you can't take that spread that over two or three days?
3: Oh, look, I can. it just, um, it just bugs me when I can't finish <laughs> in one sitting. Okay. <laughs> that's no, that's good. That's
0: good. That's good. I mean, Uh, I
2: can relate with that, like with all because I work in higher education with all the grading that I have to do, which means a lot of reading, sitting down to read an 800 page book just sounds so exhausting.
0: Because it might take you a year to get through it, because sometimes (laughs) as I was an educator as well, and I taught English composition, so I did a lot of papers. And for about a decade, I did not read anything for pleasure because I read so much and I just wanted a break. I, my eyeballs was said no more words today. You know, I don't even want to watch a movie with subtitles. I just, you know, so I, yeah. I completely understand that. And, but then to be able to read for pleasure after getting away from academia and then getting to read for pleasure again, it was like the most luxurious experience. So I, but I, I appreciate the, the, the uh, the time constraints involved mm-hmm. with that. Um, another just kind of a broad question that you know I'll, I'll let you kind of chime in as you want instead of having to, to direct everyone if that makes it easier what made you want to start writing or to be a writer
3: I'll start if okay. uh if everyone else needs sure it. for me it's just in me um like I have to I don't know if that's similar for anyone else, but it's like, you've got this, these ideas and it's in there and you need to just, you need to get it out. Um, So for me, there's, there's really no other option. For me, yeah,
2: I I relate with that as well. Like I always have felt like it's been part of me, right? I, I discovered that I loved writing when it became kind of cathartic. Uh, when I was much younger and and really didn't have anything else to turn to other than writing And as I've gotten older, I, I've, I've of course honed the craft a bit and being able to teach other people writing, I've learned how to appreciate the history of my own journey as well if that makes sense uh, because I like, I, I view writing as like an extension of myself. Like I feel like I'm taking little pieces of myself and putting them on the page and in some way preserving that, if that makes sense. So it's not only cathartic, but it also it also feels like it is allowing me to
0: live in different places, if that makes sense. As kind of like a documentation. Um, I know we had talked about this on our, our episode is it is it that sense of a combination of exploring uh you know w- where you are at at a given time as much as documenting it or is it is it a sharing it or all the above
2: i would say it's all of the above for poetry specifically for me i i really connect um poetry with places and um and that connects with like the places that I inhabit as well, or the others that I write about where they inhabit too. So it's it's I would say it is definitely all of the
0: above. Okay. Uh,
1: Ivan, take, uh, take it's a always been in these. Well. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> from young, from very young age, I've been doing it. So uh, it's one of those things I can't pinpoint what triggered it because I've been doing it for so long, uh, but. I've always loved the escapism that I can bring to myself. Uh, And I mean, the world, the world is, the world can be an ugly place, you know, and uh, that, that escapism really helps. And even, even if it is a horror story, (laughs) um, but I've always loved language and I, you know, and, and I've loved uh, what we can do with, uh, with, storytelling to send a message uh, and st- it's, it's so, so much more than just saying it you know I love the subtleties I love uh, I love the metaphors I love all of that symbolism uh, it's something I've always been into so it was just one of the reasons why I loved horror writing so much uh, there's so much of that uh, and it, it reflects the present times so much, whether it wants to or not, it tends to do that, uh, and that admiration has always kept me going uh, from a very young age.
0: Horror is a great genre, and and that you're right, and and it it can be innately conservative and reaffirming of kind of some some values. You know, uh, I taught a class in horror horror as well, and, and um, it, but it also appeals to the the worst in us. You know that that just below this, the psychic level, there's that all those nasty thoughts that we have, and and that's why we can see these horrible images. And when we watch a horror movie, you know, someone gets killed early on in the film, and we laugh at that or something like that because like, oh yeah, that we don't like them, they're dead. That that that's releasing some of those things. That Stephen King says the alligators in our subconscious. You know, that's what that's what good horror can can do so it is definitely a uh, pressure valve release in that regard you know so i i, totally I get that I so
3: I, I, I think, well, sorry i was I, just going to say that i think um horror is one of those genres that it's always been designed for the space of the other so mm-hmm. you know and the same with sci-fi and fantasy um it's one of those really explorative genres where it can actually be less about um, the people dying and the blood and the gore and uh, much more about the kind of the, the socio-political context that the story is uh, emerging and the characters kind of live through so it can be extremely powerful for me.
4: I mean Absolutely. yeah personally personally, what led me to write is like uh, I think it's like most of you because you mentioned like creativity and everything uh mostly in my case is like uh I feel like I need to write to create uh it's uh because like basically like one thing I'm scared of is like just like leaving this planet without like leaving a trace of the fact that I've been here. So uh this is why and uh psychological freedom I mean is quite similar to horror in some mm. points. I mean in like very very wide thing. But yeah, it's, um, I feel like this is more like the place where, um, you know, I feel like uh, more comfortable than this, you know. Um, It's more like how, like, you know, like dealing with like, um, what I've been like always fascinating about was, uh, you know, like what the brain can be and can bring like, like how some people may like have like some... Not twisted mind, but like some like you know ideas. And so we've got like different like yeah, we've got like illusionists, we've got manipulators, we've got uh, mentalists as well. And uh this is why like this people have like somehow a superpower, and it's like a superpower that I love to exploit. And uh what led me to write was like first like um getting rid of, you know, like my uh pain. Uh being a transgender myself and uh, then after like trying to like leave something to actually like you know like having like a free space where you can actually like leave everything like where you can be like truly yourself the the person you actually want to be like and you cannot be like you know in, in the real so- society so that's
0: why that makes perfect sense i mean if if that's part of identity and struggling for identity and finding out who we are, it is a, an escape in that perfect world that we're creating. We can be anything. You know, I, I think that's one of the appeals. Mostly,
4: it was mostly like a therapy in my case. I mean, I've been writing for like, I mean, since I'm like a teen and uh, it's like all, all the time it's been like mostly like a therapy on how to like, Vents on everything, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm.
2: Taylor, I really resonated with what you said about kind of like leaving something of yourself behind in this world, because that's very much how I view writing myself. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of that can probably be attributed to the fact that many of us in the LGBTQ community you know, have lived a portion of our lives or we've had people taking things away or we've been minimized or erased in some capacity. And writing, um, at least for me, has kind of filled those vacancies where people have kind of um, removed those things, if that makes sense. So yeah, I really resonated with that.
4: And the, the the other thing is like as we are all part of the lgbt i mean our work is not only like for ourselves it's mostly like designed for like educating people on who we are i mean because like for example um in europe and same as the us and i guess same in australia as well there's a lot of uh uh conservatism like conservatism is like mostly coming back and for some reason we are like discriminated for the reason uh, like for example i wrote about this like in my blog recently uh, we are like discriminated we're like uh marginalized like for most of just because we just actually want to be ourselves is not like we're not committing crimes we just want to be the person we really are and, um, and so, yeah, this is why it's important to leave, like, a trace behind so it can, like, probably, like, bring in the future to someone, like, uh, for example, in my case, who has, like, gender identity issues, uh, like, um, some, like, grounds to say that, you know, someone before him, her, they would actually did that and had the had the courage to actually go through this uh in probably like much uh difficult circum circumstances i mean i feel like the world is gonna like evolve in the good way uh towards this but obviously it's like a still still a long way to go unfortunately
0: we're gonna stumble a few times before we get there now i like what you what you had to say there because that's one thing i've noticed um You, my my own personal writing, I I. I don't think, and I don't write with characters who are necessarily um, uh, sexual. Um, I think I just read enough H.P. Lovecraft uh, at a younger age to realize what happens when people have sex. Um, they just have mutants or cannibals, you know, and nothing good comes from <laughs> sexual union. And not being one who likes romance and those things, I just uh, I always wrote genre because genre skipped all those kinds of issues that I that I found no personal interest in. So, so I, I'm I'm a little detached. But I also understand, though, how cathartic and healing writing can be when you're bringing something of yourself into the story, into the poem. So I I understand that as well. So I guess what I'd like to, to talk a little bit about is some of you have already kind of already said, you know, talked about this is how much of yourself are you bringing to your writing? Like you had said, Taylor, you want to leave. It's almost like a historical document. You you're showing Someone who has struggled with these issues, so that someone in the future can say this person was going through this at a certain time and look maybe how far we have come. So, as writers, are you conscious of that in, in your writing? I know, um, David Jackie had mentioned something about you know gay horror as we had talked about before. How much of, of your gender identity, sexual identity um, do you bring? Uh, into your writing, do, do you make it a primary component? Is it a secondary component, so, or is it just because this is who you are and you just happen to write a story?
4: So basically, I'm like mostly exploiting like literally every uh, faces of the LGBTQ community. Uh, for example, like my main character, like at least I'm speaking for Free Expensive Lies because when I published *The Fell from Venus*, I mean, I took like my main character from *Free Expensive Lies* as a consultants, pretty much. But in three expensive lives, I've got, like, uh, literally, my main character is, is uh, lesbian. Um, my, uh, like, for example, our employer, like, uh, they've got, like, a trans woman, like, leading uh, Interpol units. Uh, they've got, like, I want to have, like, literally every face uh, represented, but I don't want to make it, like, uh, you know, like, something that is unusual, but I want to make it something that is common. For example, for me, like, um, whether you love a man or a woman, regardless who you are, it doesn't matter. The most important is you must feel happy, you must be okay with your life, you must be okay with yourself, obviously, because otherwise it's where the the fun starts, if I may say, I mean... (laughs) And uh so yeah, this is it's like mostly like a time capsule because um we've been through like a past of like uh, obscurantism. Uh and obscurantism is like unfortunately coming back. Um we saw that recently, like literally everywhere, like uh we can even see that uh you know, with like the, the current situation not far away from me in Ukraine. Um obscurantism is like literally coming back and I feel like if we don't raise awareness on who we are and uh, how uh, that the fact that we are not the bad guys, uh, we're not like the, we're not uh, mean, we're not dirty, we're just like normal people just loving someone different or we are just like normal people uh, do not identifying us because we have like some gender problems. So it may feel like for someone in the future, something to know that We face these problems in probably like tougher conditions, tougher situations, but in the end, we didn't give up. We still kept on fighting for who we are because in the end, this is what we want. I mean, I'm speaking, I think I'm quite right on this point. And uh, I don't know what you guys are thinking about this. I think
3: um, Uh, something that you said that I found really, really important is the idea of like, normalizing um so we we all obviously have a lot of um visibility there, there are so many stories out there now but um what I try to do with my my work is to just show that these people exist and it is normal it's not um it's not necessarily a point of difference you know two men fall in love two women whatever um and they have a life that they that they live just like everyone else uh And so I think that's what I want to do with my work is really kind of just promote that idea that, yeah, like we exist and there's nothing, there's nothing you can do about it. And you know what, like my couple is married and that's, that's legal now for, for now. Um, And they, they're just as likely as anyone else to, to check into a motel and never check out you know what I mean so um for me it's it's writing stories where the characters just happen to be gay it's not necessarily the primary component um like shedding a light on um on lgbtqi plus issues but just the fact that these people exist we're here and why can't we why, why can't we be the protagonists in our own stories
0: that seems like it might be I the ultimate in, in normalization that. in a way. Mm-hmm. If, if their sexuality is just part of who they are as anyone's sexuality is, mm-hmm. and then the bad things happen to them, just like what you would consider would happen to any character in a way you've, you've, you've kind of nominalized or normalized it so much to where it doesn't matter, which is exactly where it should be in the first place. You know, does that make sense?
3: Like, yeah. That's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. So hopefully it's been successful to some degree.
0: That's, that is a very beautiful thing.
1: You know, uh, and I I to kind of piggyback on that, I, I do the same thing in my stories. Um and in a lot of my stories I, I have at least in, in the the short story collection that I'm working on now, I've made it a point to uh, diversify all of my protagonists to come from any and every kind of sexuality or race or what have you. I wanted to make the diversity as vast as possible. Um, but presenting it in a way that isn't, isn't meant to be perceived as preachy. And,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, which is exactly what, what you, David Jack, is uh, what, was talking about. Um, and, I, I I believe that is a very important thing that you're doing and it's a, I think it's a very important thing for um a lot of people a lot of people to read stuff like that um so that they can see how incredibly normal this is you know and it, the more people the, the more stories that we that we put out like this the more normalized it becomes uh and I think it I I think that the impact that that is going to eventually have is going to be absolutely huge when we put out enough uh, stories like this that depict our characters as just hap- who just happen to be gay, happen to be bi, happen to be pan, what have you. Uh, and people will just become desensitized to it. You know, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, that's what they love. Awesome. You know the characters are just characters like anybody else yeah and I think it's a thing that's fantastic in the end, yeah and for, yeah for poetry
2: for me it differs a bit in the sense that like I I won't necessarily say I get preachy <laughs> but because it is such a condensed mode of writing I am able to really focus on very specific things like certain like political commentary etc uh and for my for both of my collections, I very clearly state um, in like on like the back summary, so on and so forth that that the the first collection is was written about my experiences as a gay man growing up in, in rural America, and my second collection talks about those experiences post coming out because I don't feel like those experiences are talked about enough we kind of get to the point where we come out and everybody thinks that oh everything's done there's no challenges there's no nothing to, 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 to ugh, cannot speak to traverse anymore and um, I, I would I will say that it is very personal like I feel like poetry has been a mode for for being very raw and vulnerable for a lot of poets throughout history, but it also gives me the opportunity to be more abstract and withhold uh, if I feel the need to at the same time. Uh, now, I, I do really want in my own work, the entire LGBTQ community to take away something from it. And I feel like I've evolved with my work in that sense um, because I've, I've become incorporating Uh, like, I incorporated a character in my second collection, for example, which is being depicted in this kind of, like, cyberpunk future who happens to be a non-binary character, And, um, and, and through that character, I've been able to not only create a commentary about my own, you know, struggles with uh, how I am physically represented and, and how I kind of internally view myself. But um, I, f- I feel like it also could hopefully be a point of representation
0: for others as well. The the concept of representation, I think, is is what's crucial. At least what I'm seeing and hearing from all of you is the idea of making accessible stories or poems, anything to where someone picks it up and they can say, they can identify with like, here's someone who is like me, finally. Um, and and the closest thing I can I can say is, or about that connecting with others who are finally, you meet people who are like you is uh, just very recently got in touch with um, an atheist writers group. Um, well, I'm not an atheist. I'm edging toward it. I'm definitely an apostate um, and I met other people who knew the Bible like I did, who grew up in fundamentalist churches, who they were ministers and, and they all rejected it for the same reasons that I did. And I finally felt like after decades of feeling like I was the only, only I got in such isolation, finally met my tribe. And it just made me want to weep because I was like, okay, I'm not the only one who feels this way. And I, so on that level, I feel like this is kind of what you're saying. This is this is what you want others to know. You're, you're not the only one. There are, there are others out here who've had this experience. Is that what makes representation so important to you?
3: The idea of belonging—that you, you belong somewhere—and that other people who read your work can have that feeling as well.
1: Yeah, we're all um, social, social creatures, and it's really refreshing to have that uh that realization or that reminder that we're not alone you know that it's it's a, it's a really good feeling uh to to know that the idea of you is shared by other people you know if not celebrated by other people you know who share those same traits
3: and i think for me as well it's also about reaching people outside of that community so if I get a couple of straight people, um, Mark, who, <laughs> who can read my work and also connect with the stories that I'm telling and the characters that I'm telling, regardless of sexuality, I think that's also quite a powerful thing. And that can help kind of bridge those gaps of, of a lack of understanding.
0: And that's helpful because... Growing up without those representations um growing up for most of my life, where you know these these kinds of things are still rather new in our in our culture in America. you know we have that judeo christian kind of oppressive puritanical kind of view of sexuality um, so we're we're just over the last decade really still seeing growth and leaps and there's still a lot of resistance to it. Um, especially now, as what Taylor had mentioned, this this kind of swing to the conservative. And, and by conservative, we're not talking about small government staying out of my business. We're talking about the radical Bible belt, you know, the religious right. And that's dangerous, I see, um, on all kinds of levels. I think that the representation itself is important, but
2: also the representation of what survival can look like. I think that's... Uh, important for other LGBTQ plus people to see but at the same time I think that that like especially for me in poetry like, like showcasing that survival and the fact that that it's an ongoing process we must be vigilant with like I think that's something that is universally Something that can be connected with, because each person is surviving through something, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, It
2: might be something different due to maybe their identity, their sphere of privilege, etc. But it all can come back to that to that point of connection, right? And I think that's important. Yeah,
3: hundred percent. I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yep. So these stories kind of add to the as one of the questions uh, that David Jack sent me, there's this this representations of homosexuality and and people on, on this, this spectrum. Um, Do you think that these stories kind of help the general public in understanding uh, of the dynamics of sexuality and, and where people can, can fall on, on this very wide spectrum?
4: I mean, today there's a lot of, like, uh, awareness, like, it starts, like, for example, we can see here, like, on TV, there's much more, like, fictions, like, talking, like, representing, like, uh, I mean, in, in Europe, for us, like, being gay is not, like, no longer a problem, but being trans is something else, obviously, but now it's, like, um, you know, like, we, we, we can see, like, a lot of uh, new stories, like, even, like, throughout the TV, uh many new series, many video games as well. I saw that in, uh, for example, like Cyberpunk uh, 2077 had like a trans character or someone. So there's like a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, people are now, um, they're like going to like represent us like as uh, we are part of the society as well. We just have like um, a spectrum. We just have like an internal issue to deal with. But uh, in the end, it's like we're just like normal people, just like uh, straight, just like, you know, like normal people. I mean, what what does normal mean in the end? Yes, right. So uh,
0: So we're trying to take the word normal uh, and just kind of get rid of it as meaning anything. There is no, because because if you say normal, then there are people who are not normal. And that's what we're trying Uh, to to do is get rid of that notion.
4: Exactly, for example, like personally, like when I started my transition, like back in France, I thought that I would face like a lot of discrimination. Uh, I obviously did because uh, <laughs> French people love discrimination for some reason. But when I came in uh, in the UK, uh, I started like, for example, I was actually scared because I was working in customer service and I was scared because I was trans. And when I applied for a job, like my first manager told me, you've got two legs, you've got two arms, you can work. So that's uh very easy, and now there's like much more like thanks to that representation there's much more like acceptance uh towards at least I'm talking for like trans people because uh that's the case I know and I face uh for example, I started like back two years ago, I was just like a team member now i'm still, I'm already managing teams, so it's like kind of uh thanks to that representation, we can actually grow and gain like um, uh, confidence like people are more likely to probably not trust us but more likely to be proud of us because we are actually like we pass through something in the past Um, whether we are gay uh, whether we have like a sexual um, uh, sexual orientation or like gender gender like um issue. Um we always have like, like this um um this thing is like people are proud of us somehow uh they're proud of having someone different within their team, within their staff, within their uh companies. So it's It's kind of uh, rewarding for us in some way because they are proud because, you know, they're hiring us, but like in return, there's still like a lot of people. For example, I see like a few days ago, I was serving someone who just laughed at me because, you know, I had like my makeup and uh, my male voice. So it was kind of hurting, but in the end, you just learn to shrug off and just, you know.
2: Well, this is what makes representation so important because a lot of that discrimination is, is rooted in fear because, because they might not know a person or an individual who is in one of our communities, right? I will never forget a conversation that I had with someone from high school, I roll. Um, but I one of the people I knew in high school, a former bully who was very, very homophobic, came up to me one day as an adult and was like you know Donnie gay people aren't that bad like you're you're gay and and you're fine kind of like this like you're giving me permission to exist of course but it, it came back down to the idea that this person heard from other people in his life that that gay people were like these sexual succubi that were going to, you know, you know, suck the straight out of them. And it's like, no, that's like, don't listen to that rhetoric. We're not monsters. We are literally human beings. And once you get to know somebody in the community, you start uh, kind of disempowering that narrative that you are taught from childhood, right? I think that's what representation does. And, and I think, and, and, each of you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we ourselves kind of act like representation too, um, because we have overcome those different things and still in some ways are overcoming things, but, but we exist and that matters at the end of the day.
3: I think it's also important for representation to make sure that not every character is the same. Because what I found from, like, from the 90s, any gay character on TV was basically just Jack from Will and Grace. Um, You know, and that's not helpful. As we've just been talking about, there is a spectrum. Um, And, you know, my husband is a bear. I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with that term. But um, that also comes potentially with a different type of attitude and a different way of carrying yourself uh and lots of people when they meet him he was training people at work one day and and he said oh blah blah my husband and and she corrected him and said do you mean wife and he was like no those words are very different um i, I do know the difference between the words and i said it on purpose she was like oh my god you don't look gay and i always laugh at that because what does that mean what, what does it mean to look gay um you know, or to like, oh, you don't have a gay walk, or you know, what does that mean? So I think in terms of representation, it's it's really important to make sure that we're not all always kind of just that Jack from Will and Grace that people people are so familiar with, um, and that they understand that there are various ways that that people can exist within that community.
0: It's like all the stereotypes that you see um, in entertainment. <laughs> whether it's a racial stereotypes Mm -hmm. or, you know, cultural stereotypes. Um, And that's something as a student of popular culture, stereotypes exist because it, it, it helps that sense of tribal belonging and understanding of the other, you know, we'll put that in italics. They're different in these three ways. And so it's easy for us to identify this other group that might be threatening to us. And I think what you had mentioned, Donnie, that fear aspect, I think that's, that's part that that's gotta be a, a integral part of it because so much of the rhetoric that's going on now in trying to push for these very conservative agendas is worrying about simply teaching about people who are not straight or are the LGBTQ plus issues is automatically going to make straight kids gay. And I okay. saw well, I saw I was like I saw a wonderful post <clears throat> from a a gay writer who put up these memes who said showed pictures of all this straight sexual representation all these cartoons and disney cartoons that he grew up with he says like all the straight cartoons in the world didn't make me straight you know and so i just thought you're turning it on its head that was wonderful because like oh there you go okay it's innate it is who you are but i thought that was a wonderful Mm -hmm. wonderful way to deal with that kind of fear mongering
4: that's the that's something I was like comparing because like um like uh you Donny you mentioned like about like fears. Uh, for example, like back in the Roman Empire, uh, you know, like uh the Roman used to call like barbarian those who did not speak Latin. So it was like they were called them barbarian because they were literally scared of them because they were like saying the same. I mean in the end, like the the problem we are like facing right now is not like it's something that has always been existing. You're I mean this is something like very human it's like you're always scared of what you do not know so I think uh, and this is why like representation helps us a lot uh, is because um, the fact is like now people are getting out now to get used to us to know us like who we are and what we want and to show that we are not like the bad guys or we're not like uh, here to like actually like force kids to become I don't know transgender gay or whatever one that's that uh, we're just like um, what people don't understand is that we just want to live our life freely we don't want to live our lives uh, according to uh, the book you know
3: it's... I think there's also a difference between fear and maybe ignorance or being a little bit naive um, because well they might watch this so I won't say the name but my um one of my brothers uh was very kind of he probably did come from a space of fear but it was also based on those stereotypes and things that he had heard which to me also was a form of naivete so um we've kind of gotten quite close now and he said to me years ago, similar to what that that person from high school said to you, Donnie, was like, like, I always thought X about gay people and, and you're not like that at all. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't know how many gay people you've actually met because we don't wear a sign on our forehead. Um says like gay, you know, in big pink lights or something. Um so you you just need to kind of understand that you probably have crossed paths with so many. Gay people, lesbian, pan, trans—you know, uh, all all walks of life—and just not even known it. So, and I think um, that's quite an important thing to pass on to people as well in our work um, and just in general.
0: I like asking questions, uh, and to to people who have issues with this is uh, it's just similar to that, David Jack. As um, are all straight people the same? You know that kind of thing. Like they, there's a, there's an acceptance of straight people are um, you know of course they're they're all over the place. Everyone's different, and I I think I think you're all right in that. Where you know the straight community that uh, the the lessons and images that we have been given in our popular culture and through our schools and through our churches, um, you know, there's been a lot of demonization of anyone outside of that. And so I think we are in those awkward early steps of acclimatization. And I think it's going to be a, a generation. I think this generation now, the younger generations there, they're a lot m- more willing to embrace this sense of fluidity with their gender, gender and, and sexual identities. And I think the generation after that, I- I'm hoping, will even be more so. I and mean, these issues won't, this will be one of those relics like, Taylor was mentioning, This will be a relic that people will look back and say, "Oh, yeah, back in uh, 2022, they we was having to still discuss this. How antiquated? How you know?" Um, but it is funny uh, that we are
3: talking about it in 2022,
0: right? Right, but I, but I think <laughs> yeah. that maybe this fulfills one of those functions of of getting the word out there and just normalizing it. I don't know how else we get better as a society other than to continue talking about it and putting it out there. I think at the end state. of the day it comes back to education, right? Like that, that's and, what I was going to say.
2: Yeah. Like like mm-hmm. representation, like it it's the vehicle that usually perpetuates it most would be education, but it also needs to be solidified by you know allies as well. Um because allies are are the individuals who go through that learning experience and they can model that learning experience for other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, like if representation can do that for allies and it, it would have like that snowball effect. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of undoing. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry.
1: Uh, no, I, I was thinking it's good to find the, you know, the resources for the knowledge in, uh, and people, you know, or, uh, really anywhere you can find it, uh, and talk about it. We just need to talk more, you know, and that's going to help with the normalization. That's going to help with, uh, the reduction of, of fear and, and to not be, not be incredibly silent about it. And I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying this from a place of, of, um, of somebody who's in this community in Florida, seeing as what's going on here. Uh, and, you know, in our individual political climate is not great, uh, but, um, you know, for for the LGBT uh, community. But, you know, the more that we, the more that we talk about ourselves to each other, the more that we talk about ourselves to our allies, the more that, you know, and the more that we, the, the more vocal we are, the better. I mean, is really, is, 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 the, is the, the bottom line, you know. I,
0: I, I wonder if along with the representation and the education on, on people on the other side of, of that fence as, as a straight person like myself and, and, and the, the community that I'm going to stand in for, there has to be a sense of deconstruction. You know, just like people who go through deconstruction as with religious beliefs, which I am well acquainted with, there has to be a deconstruction of the notions of other things that you've grown up thinking about the other. We're gonna put that in capitalize the other and italicize. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's the that's the component is yes, it's great to have education representation. Now how how do we go about teaching or helping the sense of deconstruction um, because there are some people who are who are just going to be unwilling to accept anyone who can seems different for whatever reason but for other allies out there or people who want to be allies what do you think would be a really good way to help and the deconstruction of their own perhaps perceived notions or the things that they grew up thinking what is what steps do you think they could do to help begin to deconstruct those and to start with a clean level slate?
2: I think one big thing, and I just had this conversation with some colleagues today in the context of diversity and equity in higher education. Um, I think it's important for, throughout this educational experience, and, and I like that you mentioned deconstruction, I think it's important for people to understand that That being held accountable for saying something incorrectly or not knowing something, that's not an attack. Accountability isn't an attack. And I think once people can get past that hurdle, being open to listening to different stories and experiences, seeing different uh, aspects of representation, it becomes easy to acknowledge and accept and then you know, spread that awareness.
4: To be honest, I I think um, the word deconstruction is a bit uh, ugly. I would rather say improvement rather than deconstruction. Um, Personally, I'm also from a Christian background. Uh, I grew up like in churches and everything. And uh, uh, it was like, actually like, for example, uh, back to like, for example, the Romans, like uh, there was this uh, emperor, Uh, I think it was um, uh, Mark Antony or even uh, Jules Cesar, it was actually like, they were actually gay uh, and it was like normal by then. It's just like churches came back with their uh, ideas and they literally like turned the world upside down um, in a certain way. So I think deconstructing is probably not the word because if you say like deconstructing it means like uh, Destroying something that some people have built, I think it's just like not destroying. Uh, it's like not destroying your house, but just adding another room. Um, I think this is what, uh, as LGBT community, must do to uh, make sure that everybody would actually go and accept us. Because if we go and deconstruct, if we go in imposing the ideas, if we go in like this thing, this is how we're gonna be marginalized. I mean, history spoke for that. So um, deconstructing is probably too big, but improving and uh, uh, accepting would be probably a better word, I think.
0: It makes perfect sense. And and like you all, bringing elements of yourself into your writing and your experience, that's the word that I've seen so often with people who have come through religion, and, and that deconstruction is, a, is the term used for kind of the, to try to break down the yeah. scaffolding. Of, of all mm. those teachings. Um, and so, but that, that makes perfect sense. I think becomes from that comes a sense of freedom and willingness to look at things differently. But I like that adding another house or improving, um, you know, that, that's a, also, those are also very good ways of looking at it.
2: I I couldn't help, but think of the word compartmentalizing, like compartmentalizing where certain fears originate why, like, certain beliefs and and impressions of marginalized communities, like, where they come from, essentially. In my conversations with individuals, that's, like, by leading with those types of questions, like, like, how do you compartmentalize, like, your understanding of the LGBTQ plus community? That's when people can start piecing it together themselves, kind of like a puzzle, right? Where they're like, oh, wait, that's where my fear of the trans community comes from, or that's where my fear of, um, you know, gay men comes from, like, and it usually comes from what people have told them, people close to them, unfortunately.
1: I think it's important for people to uh, know what you don't know and not be uh, too afraid to respectfully ask you know um it, we as a community and i'm like well i guess i shouldn't speak for the entire community i'm not i'm not a you know a spokesperson obviously but um but many of us are open to educating um it's okay to open up a conversation with us about the things that aren't uh fully understood uh the things that you know the fears uh the misunderstandings that may Need some light shed upon, you know. Um, It's okay if it helps, if it helps the situation, then at least, you know, from my standpoint, I am all about talking about it. You know, Uh, I'm an open book with it and I'll answer anything to the best of my ability. And I think that openness is something that uh, we can provide that is hopefully going to make it more comfortable for other people to educate themselves it it serves as a model yeah
2: yeah well and and building off that like i think like like part going back to representation i think another thing to acknowledge that's crucial in this educating experience is acknowledging privilege as well because like we have varying degrees of privilege, depending on what communities we're in. Like, for example, I am a white um, cisgender male. Due to those different uh, identities, I have certain privileges that other groups do not. And I know that a lot of people um, outside of our communities, when they hear the word privilege, they often kind of, uh, they kind of cringe at the word because they feel that it's being weaponized against them. But again, going back to what I said earlier about people realizing that conversations about an accountability and privilege, they 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 don't have to be an attack, like they're not an attack. It's simply looking at things for how they actually are when it comes to focusing on people's varying experiences
0: in the world. Those are the kind yeah, of I, uh, assumptions that we have uh, i 'm sorry for speaking um that we we grow up and and i 'm bringing a, a popular culture theory to that it 's like we are all born growing up in different cultures we are we see everything through a pair of like colored lenses you know this is our cultural impositions this is on us this is our understanding of the world until we learn about other cultures firsthand or other ways of looking at it so all of our prejudices and all of our beliefs about the other are only changed when we have direct contact and experience with that other and and mm-hmm. so I think that and I think
3: we it, also have to be they also have to be willing to accept that because you know if they're coming if they're encountering the other from that space of fear or um, you know anger or hatred, then nothing's going to change anyway. So there needs to be a willingness to go, okay, you are different from me. It's not an us versus them scenario that we're talking about. Just two people having a conversation. Um, and I think um, like what Ivan was saying, I feel like I have a responsibility to be open to that conversation as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm in by no means am I a spokesperson um, either but I can speak to my own experiences which do resemble other people from the community as well. Um, So there needs to be a willingness on both sides to have that respectful um, mutual meeting in the middle. Um, And all of us need to kind of put our prejudices and assumptions about the other person aside Um, because I know it can be very easy for people in um, the lgbtqi plus community to automatically roll their eyes when someone asks a question like what's it like to be gay and you're like oh for god's sake (laughs) but um that's their way of trying to open up the conversation so i think from my perspective i have a responsibility to not roll my eyes and just say well what exactly do you mean by that and i'm happy to talk to you about it um and i think kind of helping them helping them enter that space safely is um a huge part of of
0: the work that we're trying to do, I think, I think we're hyper. We hyperload so much of a person's personhood um, because through their sexuality, the assumption is there is some abstract difference, um, and that's because of. the the hyper focus of on sexuality is somehow making us different in a way that we don't comprehend. And I'm wondering, any thoughts on, on that idea? Have you experienced that or thought about that? Um, I would say that
2: one thing that I've experienced um, as an activist is I will often hear people say, why do you have to make it about who you have sex with? Right. And I kind of have to like reorient no pun intended, the question where I, I, I I tell them like being LGBTQ plus, especially when we're focusing on like sexual identity as well. Like it isn't just about who we choose to have sex with. Like it's, it's about representation. It's about who people see us with. It's about how well our state acknowledges us with the people that we cohabitate with or connect with right like there's so many other variables and when you add gender identity onto that as well like that adds on additional layers too because a lot of people even when it comes to talking about gender identity they will conflate it with sexual identity and completely overlook the fact that that's that's something that's a different conversation, right? It's, a, it's an important conversation, but you can't conflate them necessarily in every context.
0: Can you understand how that could be confusing to people who are trying to adapt and learn about these things? Like, uh, connecting sexual identity and gender identity as mm-hmm. as two separate issues? Because that's that's a difficult concept for people to grasp.
2: It is, and and, and it's difficult to explain too, like, especially if like, like, I I can't stop thinking about like the, you know, poor 16 year old who just came out needing to explain these types of things to people. Right. But I've found my success in explaining them by just illustrating the fact that like, think, think of, Uh, sexual identity gender identity and physical representation as being a plane right and there are different accesses on this plane right and each individual falls on a different point um like across these accesses or axes I'm saying it wrong um but and, and usually when you can kind of like Correlate it or create like an analogy or an image like that usually helps. I know like for me also, I I will talk about representation. Like I will say, well, like here is why it's important to talk about sexual identity and, and gender identity, because think of it from our perspective. Since we were kids, we literally in our exposure to media see cisgender heteronormative relationships depicted and celebrated all the time and there's nothing wrong with that but imagine living in a world where that was made the reverse or where you weren't able to see that in any capacity like that would be very isolating and you know damaging right and usually when when you kind of like switch that um that then it kind of becomes a bit clearer but that's a lot to explain too. at the same time sure
4: also like this thing like like you mentioned like um talking about like exchanging about like these issues and everything uh, this is like one of the reasons why I went like uh quiet for like four years and I finally decided to come out of like uh anonymous um because uh when I actually like uh following like something like terrible that happened to me in France I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this in my book in my not my book my blog soon um i've been like uh just because i was transgender i've been already uh and it took me like six months to actually uh i was receiving on a daily basis uh death threats uh rape threats on my phone uh from like various people who didn't want to understand that uh i was just uh transgender like you cannot imagine the number, the number of time i've been reading the word uh um you know, I'm not gonna say it aloud here. But I think you get the one. Um this was like some something like there's like obviously like some people that are willing to actually come to us and talk about like this um um identity, this like um sexual orientation thing, but there are also like some people that are like deliberately idiot and don't want to actually do that. And uh, just because uh, they know that we are in a position not, I wouldn't say weakness, but we are actually like showing something that is quite intimate to us. Uh, then they're attacking us on this and it's like actually waste, waste imaging. Um This was why I went like anonymous and I said like, I'm not going back to social network. It took me like three years, four years to actually come back. Uh, and now I decided with all of you guys to actually like take the take the next step, but um there's a lot of like uh people willing to actually come to us, but there's also like some people that are like locked uh literally and don't even want to open and I face this uh especially like you know thanks to internet and we have all the power to hide behind nicknames um Uh, like so many um, I mean like when I received like uh, threats like I was like mentioned like I remember like one of these texts uh, it was like some guy like I didn't know him he was like sending me my address and he told me once you get out of your house I'm gonna rape you Um, this was actually something um, so you know when you're 23 and facing this is quite traumatizing but it's like I don't really know what to do with like this, because like in the end like like you like we mentioned like the construction improvements we're we're all like trying to build uh, a new house, uh probably like with some different like cultures and everything, and um what to do with those who do not want to come to conversation that's the thing.
2: And for those people, first I want to say, like Taylor, I I celebrate you being here and and thank you for being here. Um, despite all of those horrible things, um, I, I think that the metaphorical house that you refer to, when when those who are resistant to it, who don't want to enter or acknowledge it, I think that's when allies step in that's when allies come in and illustrate for these other individuals that like, hey, these people matter, these people exist, that that's when they, you know, take the field and start doing the educating as well. Because there, there are certain points in our experiences. And and while I think all of us here are pretty secure with with sharing our experiences and talking about representation, there are many in our community who don't have the bandwidth to do that, especially if they are in, in, in a place where they're experiencing traumas or if, if they're not surrounded by people where they can feel safe. Like, I think that's when, when allies need to,
0: you know, take on that role of educating. And I'm glad that you kind of framed it that way, that we, everyone we kind of all have to work together and in helping move move us forward you know to something more accepting and and kinder to one another i want to thank you all for coming tonight um uh, to this panel i thank you for your graciousness to Forgive my guffaws if I didn't say the right nomenclature and and for being patient with me. Thank you for your honesty and your openness and your stories. Um, I definitely want to talk with you all as writers individually, and I hope that we can do more of these kinds of things to to get the word out and, and to help spread the news and education and normalcy, that we can get to a point one day where... These things don't have to be talked about. Um, but before we go, I'd like to give everyone an opportunity to tell uh, if you have publications or books, poems, everything out, where can we find your writing and your books? We want to purchase. We want to support you. Where can we help? So, um, Taylor, can, where can we find your book? okay uh, so uh well basically i've
4: got a website and it's quite con- confusing because my website ends up in .co.uk but it's accessible worldwide <laughs> um so you can buy my book on, on my website uh, my books actually um so my latest publication was um so i published like the highlights of like my free expensive life. Uh, Make pretty expensive like lengthy book. I shortened it into something like much um, um, easier and accessible for everyone. But everything can be like purchased from like my website. You can also type my name on Amazon, uh, Smashwords. Uh, I found my book in Apple iBooks recently. I was actually like kind of thrilled to see that. You know, <laughs> didn't know that it would be like that extended um then after like where you want to follow me is mostly like on instagram i'm mostly active on instagram i'm not i'm active on facebook as well but not that much uh like i said due to these issues i'm like going like quite shy to uh social medias and everything you know? <laughs> um but yeah mostly like where i share like most of my things is on my website and instagram so if you guys want to follow me just stay the heart in jenkins and this is where I'm i might
0: Thank you. And Donnie, where can we find your works?
2: Uh, Well, uh, you can find my work on my website, donniewinter.com. You can also find both of my poem collections, Carbon Footprint and Feats of Alchemy on Amazon. If you're not a fan of Amazon, you can also find them on Leopard Print Books, which is a traveling uh, pop-up bookstore that I've been supporting recently. Uh, You can also find my work on my uh, YouTube channel, titled Donnie Speaks. That's my poetry channel where I will uh, post performances of of some of my poems. And beyond that, I am active on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So if you want to follow me on any of those, feel
1: free. Ivan? Excuse me. So uh, my novella, The uh, Town Beyond the Trees, um, is available um, on Amazon, on paperback, and ebook or for kindle and also available on uh, nook via uh barnesandnoble.com um you can find links to that and links to all of my social medias and also my uh horror review horror movie review column uh on my website ivanlopezwriting.com
0: thank you and david jack
3: gosh i'm the only one that doesn't have a website so um the website here that's terrible but um, if you look me up on Instagram I've got my link tree in the bio which links to um, Amazon and Book Depository Booktopia Um, you can also find it um, Barnes and Noble but I'm in a couple of anthologies that you'd be better off going to um, the publisher themselves, Erie River and Hellbound Books um, for those if you're interested or just ask me and I'll send you a copy
0: Um, yeah excellent thank you again Um, this has been a wonderful experience and I hope you've all um, feel like you've been able able to express yourselves and it's been an honor Taylor that you have come out of being anonymous on this show Um, I'm grateful and we're all honored for that thank you very much so you've been watching and listening to between the lines you can find us at unsaneradio.com listen to full episodes or download to your device you can watch us on our youtube page which is where you're at that's where it is between the lines podcast don't forget to hit the subscribe button and we're also on the hotel talk channel on broku check us out if you know someone who would like our show tell them about us and if you're a writer who'd like to join me for a chat Email me at Between the Lines 54 at yahoo.com. Between the Lines 54 at yahoo.com. And here's my cheesy outro. See you next time, Between the Lines.